Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Latest Shiny Podcast. Uh, today, we have a special treat for you because we're going to go deep, deep into Kubernetes. Um, this is Rob Solo. Sorry, Stephen could not make it today. So you'll have to take weather and Idaho jokes uh, direct to him on Twitter, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> the uh, you know, what, what we get to talk about today is uh, some deep Kubernetes stuff. And for that, uh, we've invited two uh, fantastic guests, Jay Vias and Chris Love, who are co-authors on Core Kubernetes, uh, a new book out. Uh, we're going to have discount codes uh, at the end of the podcast to give you incentive to hear all the great things that we have. Uh, Chris, can you uh, go ahead and, and lay out some introductions for us? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rob, and really appreciate you having us on. It's been way too long since we've seen each other face-to-face. Yeah. So uh, my name is Chris Love. I've been working with Kubernetes for a long time here now, um, probably four years-ish. Uh, Jay was kind enough to wrangle me into writing a book with him. Uh, in my, you know, my daytime job, besides writing a book, is working with LionCube. We're a DevOps and Kubernetes consultancy, which means basically we help out companies with uh, Kubernetes and DevOps stuff. Um, also, if we're doing intros, I guess, I, I got to say, I, I, I try to be humble, but this is pretty cool. I was recently given uh, Google, Cloud or Google Cloud Certified Fellow accreditation by Google. Um, basically, it's for Anthos and some of their top-level architects that work with uh, GKE and other amazing technologies within Google Cloud. So, yeah, in my spare time, I like doing martial arts. So, you know, that's been interesting with the virus currently. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Shadow boxing. Yeah. I, uh, I also live in a world that is overshadowed by the virus and I'm a Kubernetes, uh, Kubernetes guy. Also me and Chris have both been uh, pretty much doing Kubernetes since day one, I guess since pretty much since it first came out and um, for, for, for different, for different reasons. Um, uh, my focus has been more on the uh, mostly, well, early on the upstream components of it, um, getting it production ready, getting it so that it worked right. And then I moved on to help some people in the business world, uh, moving companies over to, to, to Kube, um, like, you know, Black Duck and stuff like that. And uh, now I'm back at another open source company again. So that's my, that's what I do. I've just been doing the open source thing for a while. How, how did you all decide to, to write a book together? How did that come about? <laughs> oh man like so i called chris because i was just exhausted with it i was i had started doing it um and i had been talking to o'reilly about this mm -hmm. for a while um and so i just started writing it and then i i realized it was i just didn't want to i didn't want to do it anymore and <laughs> one of the big parts of it that i really wanted a lot of was operational stuff which you know chris has done a lot of consulting for people and actually my first interaction with Chris was he was getting Cassandra up and running on Kubernetes. He's probably one of the first person, first people to do that. That's and, nice. you know, I, I really wanted a lot of that flavor in there and, and a little oversight in terms of, I wanted to make sure it wasn't too theoretical and that there was a lot of practical insight stuff. So I called him and begged him to help me and he agreed. I was going to say, I don't so know if there's much begging. I don't know if there's much <laughs> begging going on there, man. I did. <laughs> really? I think I think I said I needed to sleep on it. So 
Um, co-author co co-author questions are. <laughs> let, let, let me uh, let me mention something here real quick, Rob, and then I'll dive back into the book. Uh, Jay was a little humble on his intro, um, which which he tends to be, which is awesome. Uh, he's worked with Red Hat, and now he's working with VMware, and has contributed an amazing amount of open source code. Um, and I think right now, Jay, you're working on like CSI. So the container storage interface, as well as cluster API, is that what you're, you're focusing on right now? Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, actually, um, a lot of CNI related network improvements to how we define network policies and stuff and, and a lot of upstream stuff there cool. and, and some CAPI stuff as well, cluster API stuff. Cool, cool. Well, well, back to the book. So I had started a book with a gentleman that worked for Amazon. Now he works for Apple, um, Arun, I'll give him a, a shout out. He did the J thing, which is basically, I cannot write another book. Um, and that kind of fell through. And I've known it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a logical step in helping out a community um, to write a book. Yeah, I, was, I was told it's your most expensive business card as well uh, by another author in the <laughs> tech community. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of investment of time, but... Uh, you know, we definitely do it from a, a standpoint we want to help folks out and really kind of answer the questions uh, that a lot of folks don't know or understand at a deeper level. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know, we, we went with O'Reilly initially and they're a great publishing company, but we chose to go with Manning and they're taking great care of us now. Um, so does that give you a good answer? How And, and the funny thing here, let me, let me tell you an aside. Let me yeah. tell you the quick aside here. Uh, Jay and I had never met each other uh, until KubeCon in San Diego last year, and we were working on a book. And it's been a good year now, I think, Jay, or if not longer, that we've been doing this. Yeah, until in person, yeah. And actually, <laughs> the only reason we reconnected, actually, was because the CEO of Black Duck, Bill Lettingham, was yeah. leaving. Bill, he was leaving... Um, and I was talking to him about a place that Chris consults for, mm. um, uh, you know, and he was asking me about this company and I was telling him about it and I was looking at what they're working on and I was like, oh, this is all Chris's stuff because he's Chris's, <laughs> you know, the guy behind Cops, uh, Chaos, right? And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I know who to ask about this company. So then I called up Chris and I found out and like now a few months later, Bill's the CEO of that company. And so I reconnected with Chris and I was like, oh, sh shit, I can also ask Chris to help me write a book too while I'm on the phone with him. <laughs> so that's how, that's, that's really- It was on Slack, dude. Yeah. You, you asked me on Slack, dude. It wasn't on the phone. It was yeah. actually on Slack. I remember that. So that was, uh, that was really how that all worked out. So, I mean, there, there are other Kubernetes books. You know, what, what made it- feel like you had something new do you have a do you have a, a focus or something that you feel like you know presents uh kubernetes in an important way that people should understand uh, Jay, you want to take her you want me to oh, you can take this one all right uh so there's a lot of great books about kubernetes out there uh, so really there what we're looking at <laughs> Yeah, well, right, right. Hey, I, I, I try to approach it in a in a, in a positive tilt. So, what we're seeing of what we're seeing right now within the industry is people are writing a lot of short books hmm. uh, that really don't dive into the details, and people haven't yet written 
kind of the, you know, so here's, here's a perfect example. Kubernetes in Action is an amazing title for Manning. And I'd say, because it's a really good book, right? And I'm not just saying it because they're my publisher. They're, it's like one of the best sellers for all of Kubernetes books. Uh, and, but he doesn't go into really the deep end, right? So what Kubernetes focuses on is the, you know, the DevOps or developer that has been working with Kubernetes. They understand what a daemon set is. They understand what a pod is, but they may not understand how CNI, which is container networking interface, mm -hmm. actually works behind the scenes. They, you know, may or may not have heard of CSI. They may or, you know, which is a container storage interface. Right. These are all newer interfaces that the community is building. And it allows for um, almost like a hot plug of drivers into Kubernetes rather than it being rather than the driver being in the in the interface or in the sorry in the code base of Kubernetes. So really, it's the you know it's the next level. I think the way we position it, it's the 200 300 level Kubernetes book. You're actually looking at some source code. You're doing some labs where you're like monkeying with IP tables, right? Who like <laughs> I've learned so much about IP tables writing this darn book. Um, so, you know, really it's the next step. In oh my God, you're like half, it's like, sometimes it feels like half the book is about IP tables. It just creeps <laughs> up everywhere. Like you can't, it's like you talk about L7, you're talking about IP tables, you talk about security, you're talking about IP tables, you talk about mm -hmm. services, you, no matter what you do, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and that, well, and that, that makes so, groups, that right? makes sense it, to me it, from, from that perspective. I mean, it's, I, I guess what, what you're saying, what you're saying here is that, well, you know, there's a lot of talk, you know, let's make Kubernetes boring. Um, you know, not, it, it does, that's not a license to not understand how it works. Yes. I think maybe yeah. that's the dilemma here, right? Well, in, we can make Kubernetes boring from a developer perspective and from an operational perspective where it, you know, it's solid, but if you're paged at 2 a.m. in the morning and you, you don't know how to diagnose that your network just went boom, you know, or your CNI driver just went off yeah. the deep end. And we've never had that happen to us before. And that will happen to you even if you're on GKE <laughs> and it happened to me on GKE. Like literally like we uh, paid for GKE and literally that happens. So people that don't think they need to understand, literally we saw the coup proxy go into a tailspin um, and we had, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars with the business running on this thing. And wow. Uh, it was because of a bug in GKE related to the way that they did upgrades that um, could cause uh, like cause a health check to cause an internal denial of service on GCE compute nodes. And, you know, and, and that health and check was actually happening at an interval that Google suggested. So not that Google's unstable. It's, it's a, you know, probably this is, this the best cloud, but it's just, it can happen anywhere at any time. Right. Because, uh, Hardware is well, and hardware is over and I, under provisioned. Yeah, Come on. and and KCM created. Uh, I just wanted to say cratered. Uh, basically, took down AWS accounts. I think it was back one four seven, where mm. it was just doing goofy stuff, trying to um, ping the API so much to check if drives were mounted. So if you had any PV, PVs and PVCs in your cluster, it just hammered the AWS API. We couldn't even log into our console. Like we couldn't, you know, it was just bizarro. So it, it, it's software, right? If if everything was perfect, we wouldn't have jobs. So it's 
kind of good to know when you're, you know, waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning, not only to cordon the node and drain it, but also take a peek in the logs and kind of figure out a bit, you know, if you've got something that's happening cluster wide rather than a node misbehaving. Yeah, my, my model for reading the book would really be like just reading a page here and there so that you know what you don't know. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess this is part of, you know, when I think about, you know, a lot of technical books that, that I've used to come up to speed, there's been a couple of books, um, I'm thinking back to the, the Ruby on Rails book, um, like where you just sort of like read it straight, straight through and you're like, okay, I understand this, it's cumulative. Um, well, and there's, there's technical books I sort of pick up a chapter of and, and then use. It sounds to me like what you're describing is, you know, there's really a system understanding that you're trying to convey with this. Yeah. And we're dealing with, you know, one of the most difficult topics I've taught any really capable engineer is, is CNI, which is the, the way networking works within a Kubernetes cluster. And Jay and I are still debating exactly how to, how to do that chapter. Uh, right now, um, at, we have chapters one through 10 out in the Manning and the release. So we're still, we've, we've got like, well, we got like 29 written, 29 chapters. Today. Wow. Yeah. And we have like three chapters on networking and we're probably going to have a fourth just cause we, and we don't know which one we're going to throw away yet. Like we're just like, you know, so, have, so I mean, you know. networking has always been clearly the biggest challenge, right? I, I remember in the, the early days, um, when, you know, we had, sort of flat networking and flannel. Um, there were like a couple of different networking topologies that surfaced. Um, are we still talking about, you know, a lot of different pluggability and understanding SDN capabilities or has that settled down considerably? It's not settling down. <laughs> it's not, no? Oh, well. Well, well, I think the, uh, you know, and on-prem is its own beast, right? So if you're on Azure or AWS or GKE, you're on their software-defined network, right? You just have to understand IP addressing and subnetting and, you know, really the intricacies of, you know, G, you know, Kubernetes actually does use three different CIDR ranges, which most people, they go, what? I'm like, yeah, you know, you've got multiple, usually multiple subnets that you're running around. So you've got to have a, a decent, deeper level, you know, basically network engineer level understanding of that to really set up and provision clusters well yeah but from you know bare metal still wild wild west and not wild wild west but it's like like what was after like it, it's i would say it's like post uh um you know in turn it's it's almost in uh what was the early 1900s called um the Postmodern era, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So it's, it's, in terms of its life cycle, it's kind of there. Uh, but Jay, bare metals, metals uh, near and dear to my heart. But it's uh, you're right. I mean, it's it's not consistent. It's not homogenized, um, and it can't be. So it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's another thing. Competition is a good thing in my mind. So we've got major providers out there uh, like Calico. Um, I'm probably going to butcher their name, and Rob, you can probably help help me out with this. Selenium. How do you how do you? Selenium. Selenium. I got it right. Okay. And they're taking very different approaches uh, to, or very different approaches of how networking is working. Selenium is very, uh, you know, are you familiar with it, Rob? And how not, it works within no. the kernel. So. 
help me out, Jay, here if I get the acronyms wrong. Yes. So, Cilium takes over networking for Kubernetes so that networking doesn't even hit the Linux networking stack. There's yep. X, is it XDF and what's the technology it's within the Linux kernel called? <laughs> yeah, it, so yeah, it's, it's BPF, right? So you write a, mm, they have okay. these, it's this really interesting new thing, right? This technology of BPF, like you can, so I guess BPF was, you know, originally built, you know, that the idea was a lot of this technology came from the thing of you don't want DOS. You want to be able to avoid DOS before you hit the kernel. And that's kind of the main use case of all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so there's eBPF that allows you to write these little programs that can be like, you know, kind of run outside the kernel and can do, you know, like, you know, network related stuff, but other things too, I guess. And so if you have, if you're able to, to run these BPF programs, like you don't even need to hit, you know, you don't need the kernel to manage the routes between things anymore. And then suddenly it just changes your entire networking model and it's way faster. And, I mean, what, what you described sounds like sidecars, but it's, you're not using the, the term sidecars. So yeah, well, it's, cause it's, it's, yeah, it's like a physical sidecar. Yeah, it's, it's, almost. Yeah, it's, it's like running, level, like running a kernel extension. Okay. So it's, it's actually taking over the networking C group that a pod runs on and also takes over the networking stack for the host. So you're completely bypassing the Linux networking stack. You know, if you run a, if you're running on the software defined network for GKE or AWS using their CNI provider, you're still relying on the Linux networking stack. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way, you know, uh, run on bare metal with Calico and you've got BGP and, you know, IP routing and all that good stuff. So there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, uh, this takes definitely a different approach. I would say it's akin to a kernel submodule, where it's not like a driver or a module, but it's actually here. Let me let me you know plug in a whole new set of components for doing uh, networking and routing for the Linux kernel. And what they're doing is, they're, of course, is they're replacing the networking C group. Uh, sounds, with, sounds a bit but, the, but the key thing, like what the Tungsten Fabric stuff was 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 doing or does do. Uh, yeah, the, the key thing is that you're not going through the kernel. That's the thing for, to under, to, the most important thing for somebody like listening to this, I think to take away is that you don't hit the kernel. So all the benefits of not having to manage any of that in the kernel, like performance is the number one, but also security, right? Because, you know, you're, you know and that's the, that's the most fundamental thing that, now I think the next question is why doesn't everybody do it that way? And there is a reason why. Um, the fact is that some, some operating systems don't support this yet, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so, like, we have Antrea, which is another networking plugin that's OVS-based, open vSwitch-based, right? So if you're, like, that runs on Windows, for example. Um, Calico run anywhere, like Chris said. And actually, they do have, I think, especially in Enterprise, they have some XDP tech in, in Calico that'll be smart mm -hmm. about whether you turn it on or not off. I don't fully understand how all that works yet. Okay. But the, the only reason why everybody doesn't do this is because you can't necessarily do this everywhere yet. So you can really it's only also, do it newer. Yeah. There's also a risk to it, right? Because Linux networking staff has been around forever. Sure. Right. Yeah. So you were talking about a hardened technology that's, you know, it's gone, it's, you know, way beyond, you know, battle hardened. 
It's way beyond production grade. You know, everybody's been using Linux, you know, networking stack, and it's been consistently improved since the Linux kernel was, was born. Well, the, yeah, and you're relying, so you're, you're relying on the, on the driver or the provider's code that isn't tested as heavily as the Linux networking stack. So, I, so I there's, there's an, you know, one of your risks. There's another element that hints to what you're talking about when it comes to troubleshooting. And this to me is where, you know, the deep experience y'all bring into this book sounds amazing, right? Because it's, it is, you know, what happens at 2 a.m. when, you know, something, you know, when some configuration dropped and then you're, you're, you are working through to figure out what's happening. One of, one of the challenges with SDN, you know, that I've always seen is you, know, you start layering on too much complexity and then you don't know where in the stack you broke. And, you know, you have, if you need the performance, great. And security's, you know, I wish, I wish security was more out of the box than it is, but, you know, when it comes down to operations, you know, not understanding yeah. where something's breaking is, you know, you, you get burned on that. And, and usually the, that software ends up on the curb the next day. Right. Yeah. Understandability yeah. is important. Right. And um, we all know how IP tables works, which is why as much as they keep trying to take it out of Kubernetes, it keeps being <laughs> stubborn and not leaving because at least you can, you know, and so like, I, that's one of the things I kind of feel good about is like, do we have, really good coverage of all that weird stuff in the book, no. But at the same time, I don't think you need it because as long as you understand the, the basic problems that you have in, in, in detail, I remember this with big data, right? Like nowadays with Spark and all these new big data tools, like I, I used to work on Hadoop, like at large scales, and they have all the same problems that we had. They just have different words for them. And once you, you know, <laughs> that's like- a, That's a summary of the last 30 years of computing, by the way. Right? Yeah. Like, well, my, my, my summary is this, distributed computing's hard, ugh. You know, that's, yeah. that's, that's my summary of the last, my last 30 years, right? Yeah. yeah, right? So exactly, it's all the same set of problems. So as long as you've seen it once, and, and I think that was, um, Who's the guy that, that wrote out those four books, those four famous books? What's his name? I always forget his name. The, the Fundamentals of Computing. Uh, whatever his name is. You know, he said, yeah, that once you go into one problem deeply, you've gone into all problems deeply, right? Like, and that's, I think, what our goal is. is we go into Kubernetes networking the way it works now. Everybody says it's not going to work that way forever. But, you know, like, you know, wake me up when I'm dead, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't see it changing drastically anytime <laughs> soon. You know, it's like, it's going to be this way for a while. Um, well, we, we, even we've got an interface to find, you know, re redefining CNI, not adding to it or subtracting to it, it's going to be really difficult, you know, which is not a bad thing because at least we have an interface where we can abstract from, you know, we yeah. also have not now, thankfully we have an interface for storage. Uh, you know, it's almost like we need an interface for security. We've got now an interface for cluster API uh, as well. We'll see how that gets out of alpha and see how that slowly progresses. That was one of my questions for you about that because uh, cluster API um, specifically went through a major uh, revisit and it's, it's in the 2.0, right? They're, they're in the, the officially in the 2.0 range. Is that, is that right? No? Well, we're we're st we're we're still out. We're it's starting to feel like production grade to me as somebody who works on it. Okay, like I you know we we have uh, our Tanzu our our Kubernetes distribution is about to come out, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's all cluster API based and 
and I, you know, I, I, I'm comfortable with it. I've run it at very large scales, but um, it's not there yet. It's not, it's not beta or GA yet, right? So there are other things that need to be added. We need better documentation of certain things. Um, and so we're playing a strategic long game here with that to really make a truly open model for providing compute instances to a Kubernetes cluster. And that involves a lot of open source work that isn't gonna have to be completed overnight. You know, so. Hey, let, let me take a step back here to make sure that your listeners know what the heck we're talking about, Rob. Please. So the cluster, AP, the cluster APIs, and Jay, fill in my gaps here. The cluster API is, uh, so it's an interface definition of how to provision Kubernetes clusters. Helps us with stuff like auto scaling, helps us with stuff like, uh, you know, how you're building the cluster and how you modify your cluster. There's multiple tools out there and it's always been like, you know, pick your, pick your poison on how you're going to deploy your cluster if you're not running uh, a managed cluster like, you know, uh, AWS's managed clusters or GKE. It's always this, been kind of was, poison, right? This was the dilemma that got created when KubeADM um, came in, right? Because we were like, no. oh, we need to make it easier to install a node, but we didn't solve a cluster, no. right? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, KubeADM didn't, didn't it, it's, Kube, I don't think KubeADM was the, the, the epiphany, I think KubeADM <laughs> was yet another installer. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've written hundreds of lines of code in COPS, which, which is an installer for probably multiple different I mean, cloud platforms. Now, now you're being yeah. modest. I mean, Chris is probably the, you're the number one or two contributor to COPS, right? I'm still number two. I don't know. So, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it, was, Cops, it was a lot of source Cops code. Revolution. COPS was revolutionary installing and KubeADM was a knee jerk reaction to Docker Swarm's ease of use. Um, and I air quote ease of use. Um, for that. Yeah, so, I mean. That was part of the, the motivation. But cluster, cluster API, sorry, pull, <laughs> pull us back up. Yeah. So, so here, let me, let me say something interesting, is COPS has had almost a rudimentary cluster API in it mm -hmm. for two years now, probably. So it has the, the definition of instance groups. It has a, um, uh, in a separate database that uses S3 or GCS or, you know, there's some other, you know, OpenStack is now supported. I think, I don't know what other providers are supported and COPS have, have stepped away from it. But we've always had instance groups, which is an interface model of Kubernetes cluster or Kubernetes groups of Kubernetes nodes. And they had an instance, which basically is a model of the node. So you've got to define, you know, for instance, what version of Docker you're using, what or what um, container provider you're using, right? Because we don't have to use Docker anymore. You have to, you know, define what version of Kube proxy you're running locally, what version of Kubelet you're running locally. So you have to have all those different things defined, you know, and it gets even more fun when you get into the control plane. And I think looking at, I think the, the sheer number of installers created the necessity to have uh, interface for this and also the challenges that we've had with auto scaling, right? Because we're not doing auto scaling in a consistent manner with nodes and with, uh, you know, both horizontal auto scaling of nodes and vertical auto scaling of nodes. 
Yeah, it makes it makes sense. It also it's also a really hard problem, which is you know I I watched I tried to get involved in cluster API in the version one days, and and it it was just clear that there was going to be some some you know uh, you know broken fingers. Um, in Installing cluster. Kubernetes is not trivial, and creating the infrastructure to install Kubernetes on is not trivial. Yeah. And that's what they're hopefully fixing and addressing. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's making it so that, like, you know, really, ultimately, anybody can, you're separating the problem, the hardest problem, like, you know, um, of any Kubernetes cluster that I've ever had to work on, um, the hardest problem to solve uh, when it comes to building a Kubernetes uh, platform is managing, to me, has always been uh, managing the state of the cluster, the state of the nodes with respect to the state of the API server, and especially with mm. respect to the state of the version, right, that you're on. Um, upgrades and, and, and making sure everything's, like, on the same page in terms of those things is, is very difficult to get right if you're selling, especially if you're selling uh, Kubernetes to a large number of people. Um, I don't think, you know, just getting a cluster up and running is not really the necessarily the, the end of the world. It's keeping it up and running and managing the upgrades and all that stuff. And that's, the goal is to commoditize that functionality, uh, the, the generic parts of upgrades and, and, and machine scaling and all that logical stuff. Um, into an open source, into, a, into an open source, you know, project that, that really takes all those algorithms and implements them. And then the people who sell the different services, the different cloud services on top of those, you know, the machines and all that stuff, they can plug into that, right? So you have a vSphere provider, you have a Google, you know, you have a Google provider, you have an Amazon provider, you have a provider for the different vendors, right? Right. And hopefully every vendor is going to do a good job to to make a rock solid provider so that people can really be flexible in how they build their own, you know, Kubernetes tooling out. Yeah, and if you want to use Oracle's distro on bare metal, or if you want to use Ubuntu's distro on bare metal, or Cisco's distribution on bare metal, they'll all be using the same, uh, all the same interface. Right. And, or hopefully they will be. Let's just say that since it's not, you have to use cluster API, it's, you know, hey, We'd like you to. Uh, welcome to open source. Uh, but it's going to provide also operators an understanding of, hey, okay, you know, this blew up. Let me look at what's going on with Cluster API. If you have a rudimentary understanding of Cluster API or in-depth understanding of Cluster API, that's going to help you debug. You know, same thing with uh, CNI, which is Container Network Interface. Those providers, it's, it's like, I understand how it works. I understand that it is calling a binary to do something, right? And I'm able to diagnose it at that level. Uh, and really, this is a movement forward that I've seen with what happened with velocity inside of Kubernetes uh, in terms of having a monolithic repo within GitHub just mm -hmm. really stopped. Um, or we, we, we blew up GitHub. Let's just say that. Sure. Um, we, it's one of the largest, or was one of the largest mono repos within GitHub. It is the biggest Go project, I think, in the world, which is pretty crazy in my mind. So having it, having the pluggable providers, so we don't have, uh, we have the cloud provider interface now, so we don't have that in the main repository. We, you know, we, 
CSI is going to be moving the providers outside the repository. CNI did that basically from day one. I think Flannel was in the repository. I'm not sure if Flannel is still there or not, but that's how kubup.sh worked. Was I think it installed Flannel, but I don't know. Um, now let's just talk about the skeletons underneath the, the doormats. Um, yeah, we still, there's still tons of code. There's code for Gluster and Ceph and vSphere and like port works and every vendor you can imagine in there. Like there's so many interfaces yeah. that need to get moved out of core. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, well and, and this was you know, the 2016 uh, Kube leadership, you know, and that was the yeah. major topic there. It's, it is very hard to pull out those pieces. Um, and, and at the same time, right, it's a lot of times you don't pull those out and re-architect at the same time. So it takes, takes a degree yep. of, you know, circular logic. I think uh, Cube, the, the cluster API is, is, is similar. Part of making cluster API work is going back to the core and saying, hey, we need this API or we need this exposed this way to, to accomplish this. And there is a degree of iterative, you know, hey, Absolutely. We, we can't do this well until you give us this API. And then you're like, I'm not going to give you an API until you can do it. You know, that's, the way, that's, the way, that's the way design works. Yeah. And, and testing as well, because Kubernetes testing, like, do you guys know of an open source project that does the crazy testing we do? Like runs how many different builds when we push a PR? Yeah. You know, yes, it's a mortal, at times it's mortal pain to not get a, you know, to when, when you hit flakes and you can't get your PR merged because, you know, the AWS, you know, end-to-end -end test isn't running properly, but it definitely helps out. And uh, I people, think people and, and that was one of the main awesome. things we talked about, Rob, is how do we test? Like we're, 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 we're creating almost a microservice issue, right? So now we're not a monolith anymore. We've got sprawl on all these different providers how do we bring everything into core again and test it properly to make sure that the, you know, code that we changed for, you know, this interface or, you know, X, Y, Z over here, you know, and we tested it on Azure, but we didn't test it on AWS suddenly breaks up AWS. So, so we're, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, but I, I, let me ask one, one sort of vendory question for you. Because I mean, we've been talking about open source, we've been talking about all these bits and pieces that come together. I mean, is it possible for people to, you know, have a vendor, you know, sort of say, oh, I'll just take care of all this stuff, you know, let, let the user put, put their fingers in their ears and la, 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 past all this complexity? I think it's really how you run it, Rob. Um, and, you know, if you're running on, you know, it, it's a, that's a business problem, not a technical problem because hmm. it goes down to business risk for me. Right. Uh, a lot of CTOs and CIOs like having support, right? So they want to have the capability to call VMware or sure. call Cisco or call uh, Google or, or AWS when their cluster breaks. Right. right. Uh, if you've got DevOps engineers that are working for you, they're still working with support when something breaks and the more, the more capable those engineers are to work with support group, the quicker usually you'll get the questions answered and, and your problem fixed. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. still have same, still the same kind of um, challenges running your own control plane definitely has its own challenges. Um, but if you're on bare metal, you're still running your own, own control plane. 
So, yeah, working, it, it, it goes, you know, I'll, I'll throw this out. You know, there was a phrase way back in the day that you never got fired if you bought IBM, right? I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> if stuff goes down and you're incurring millions of dollars of downtime and you're trying to rely on a vendor and they just can't fix it, I think you're still up the same creek. It's about, you know, risk balance and balance of what staff you have and the capability of your engineering group versus what type of, you know, expenditures you want, right? That kind of answer your question. And, you know, Jay, do you have anything, what do you have to throw in on that? I mean, that's the same thing. You're just like, you know, you're, you know, you're dealing with, um, even that you are safe, the, the G Evans paradox is the one thing I would mention, right? Which is that, um, the more, you know, this is with any resource, it's not just computing, but like, you know, the more, the cheaper fuel gets, the more rapidly it's used, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, the cheaper anything gets, the easier something gets, the more problems you're going to have with it because it's just going to become, uh, it's going to become a whole new scale um, of, of issues that pop up. So you might have a Kubernetes cluster that's running really well, but uh, if it's running really well, your developers are going to be using it. And if your developers are using it and you have a lot of developers, you probably have a lot of revenue and your customers are going to be growing and your developers are going to want to run more apps on Kubernetes, not less. And once they start doing that, you're going to continually be pushing the boundaries of, of that platform. And that's true for any computer, any cluster of computers ever. Yeah, it's, right? not, it's not a Kubernetes, it's not a Kubernetes statement. I guess in that sense, what you're saying is, you know, you know, there is no, you know, um, I won't say there's no easy button for Kubernetes. There are definitely ways that are easier to make Kubernetes go. But when you start relying on yes. that for your business, you better understand how it's working under the covers. That's the yeah, because no you're competing bullet. with other businesses, that? right? Yeah. That? There's, there's no silver bullet, Rob. There's no silver bullet where I'm going to have utopia. Yeah. Yeah, there's no utopia. That's, that's the reason. There's, there are silver <laughs> bullet, bullet installers. But if you don't understand what's going on, then you're not going to be able to expand your business around Kubernetes the way that other businesses will. And so you're going to lose a competitive advantage and you're going to lose a developer productivity advantage. You're not going to be able to make decisions about how to extend it, about when to upgrade, about how to upgrade, about what kind of storage to use for what apps, all those, all those stupid little decisions, those micro decisions that add up to productivity. You can't make those decisions unless you understand the fundamentals. That makes a lot of sense. And, it, and even with the ecosystem is growing as fast as it is, some of the trade-offs where it's like, you know, should I jump into Istio? Because that's the, you know, exactly. the popular one. It might not match the other things that your other decisions you've made. So you can't ask just, this Istio salesperson an honest question if you don't understand what the Kube proxy does. And if you don't mm. understand the way L7 load balancer like HA proxy or Nginx or something works, then you don't even know what they're selling you, right? You don't even know if and, they're selling and, you something you need yeah. or not. Yeah, and if you don't know Envoy, it, you know, you shouldn't even be, you know, go, go check out Envoy, you know, and Istio is a great product, right? But it's not for everybody. And that's, it, it's, it's sales versus running a good business. Because, you know, everybody wants to sell you their product but making good business decisions and good engineering decisions, which lead to business success, takes an understanding that, you know, and it goes back to the principle of the book, you know, 
like I said, most difficult, one of the most difficult things that I've ever taught in Kubernetes is actually how Kubernetes runs under the hood for networking. You know, so f it, it, it literally hurts me, makes me sad how few people actually understand it really, really well. Uh, well we've had some the, great the people assist thing, us. The other you know, hard that thing. Are, that are truly the experts. The other hard thing is figuring out how to get things to work with the Kubernetes network, right? Like when I left the open source community for a couple of years to go work at Black Duck, I suddenly found out that there was this thing that Engin called Nginx that everybody else in the world uses. Yeah. And half of the stuff it does <laughs> is else. And I'm like, oh gosh, I have to understand how this works. And in the context of a Kubernetes network, and I would go to war with people about whether we should be doing things in a service mesh or doing it in Nginx or both or neither. And, and so we actually have a section in the book that actually talks about how the fundamentals of Nginx. Because if you don't understand those, you're not going to be able to integrate Kubernetes with any kind of on-premises um, environment because it's all based on, at the end of the day on what Nginx does, right? I mean, that's the number one web server in the world. And yeah. so much of Kubernetes is just designed um, as an afterthought of how would we build Nginx if we would be building everything today, you know? <laughs> or, like, yeah, or can I flush this, this stuff that everybody else uses and start from scratch and everybody else is still using those things. But I got to pull us back because we, we are at it. We are, um, Stephen's like, I, I can I can feel his spirit tapping on the on the clock and and saying <laughs> okay, wrap it up. but but y'all y'all walked right past the the easy layout for the the go the uh, the, the the outro which is yeah people are going to be you know pitching their stuff y'all are you know have a book out can, how do people get it where do they find it and y'all had hinted at a at a promo code so. I literally looked through my email before the podcast, could not find my darn promo code. Okay. Uh, so what I'll do is, I'll, yeah, I'll tell people they can go on to my, uh, find it off my Twitter, which okay. is Chris Love CNM, as in Charlie, Nancy, Michael. So it's Chris Love CNM. Uh, our URL for the book is bit.ly forward slash core hyphen Kubernetes. So again, that's bit.ly forward slash core hyphen Kubernetes, they can go there and purchase it. It's currently in the electronic early release program, which means that we ain't done editing it yet. Uh, and going through the wonderful process of getting a book published right now, as of early April, we've got chapters one through 10 out. Jay just worked, did a bunch of work on 11 and 12. Those are slated to go up next. I need to do a bunch of diagrams for those and work on diagrams and work with our editors mm -hmm. on getting it done. Uh, but yeah, we're, our, our goal is fall for publication and, and because of uh, Rona popping up its ugly head, it may be winter, but we're, we're still hoping for fall getting everything done. Okay. So. I, I mean, y'all have demonstrated huge, you know, sort of minefields to help people navigate. And so if you're capturing these things in the book, people need to sit down, understand the basics and come back in. So we would, we would, Appreciate that. Appreciate you taking the time with this. Check out the book. Um, we'll we'll put the discount code in the show notes so that people can get access to it. And um, we'll we'll it figure out. It develops the gray matter in your brain. It's good to read book. It develops a different part of your brain than Google it does. Y'all have have laid out the case incredibly clearly to me that these are connected concepts. And the thing that you don't get with Googling is the connections. And so that is really that, important. Yeah, and your brain doesn't develop the same way. You don't have that deep 
experience, right? Rob, also, I think, I think you have like five free books to give away as well, if, I, if I'm not incorrect. So, so I'll we, let you work out that as well. We will, we will, we will do a tagging uh, on Twitter. So uh, watch the latest shiny, uh, follow the latest shiny, at uh, uh, latest shiny uh, Twitter handle, and we will make sure that we, we distribute those codes in a fair and equitable way uh, to people through that, through that handle. So thank you. Uh, I thank, thank you so much, Rob. Really appreciate it. Well, it's good to catch up with you. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah, this Thanks. was a lot of fun. You, oh, guys. and individual Twitter handles for y'all. I'm not doing my job as host well. Okay. JUnit100, J-A-Y-U-N-I-T-1-0-0. Yeah, and, and of course, I'm Chris Love, CNN. So Charlie, it's Charlie, Nancy, Michael are the three. So CNN are the last three letters. Thank you all very much. Appreciate you being on the show.